on the record flips to the B side. Good morning. I'm Mia Lobel, and you're listening to B Side. This month, you are what you drive. Stories about transportation and the sometimes unusual ways we get from place to place. As on the record, flips to the B side. The B-Side crew needed to get from point A to point B. So we opted for public transportation. Alyssa, Mia, Tamara, waiting for the 51 bus on College Avenue. How's it going? It's good, but it's a Saturday, so it doesn't look like the buses are going to come very often. I think the more you want the bus to come, the less often it comes. I think it's just Murphy's Law with buses. And I think it could be about every 30 minutes today. Oh, and we just missed one. Actually, we can go check. There's a schedule down there. According to the schedule... When the bus did finally show up, it was 15 minutes late. Is it at buck 35? As the bus pulled away from the curb, we settled in for our ride. Frequent bus rider Anne sat next to us. It looks like you're, you're riding on the bus. Do you find that it's a good atmosphere for riding? Yeah, I actually write poetry and stories, and I, I, I often call it bus riding instead of bus riding. Every day, people spend hours commuting. To pass the time, some people write... Others shave, some put on makeup, read the newspaper, talk on the phone. But really, most of the time people spend on the road is wasted. Tamara Keith has a story of one family that's trying to change that. They're making the best of a bad commute. If you're going to eat breakfast, you better get started. What time is it anyway? Oh, good. We're still it's there. 6.30 in the morning at the Steve household in the distant Bay Area suburb of Antioch, and the kids have just stumbled downstairs for breakfast. Teenagers Eric and Courtney don't look happy to be awake, but if they're going to make it to school in time for their first class at 8 o'clock, they have to leave in 15 minutes. That's because they live 21 miles away from the city of Walnut Creek, where their mom Vicki works and where they go to high school. That may not sound like many miles, but it can take as much as an hour and a half each way. Granted, it's unusual for kids to go to school so far from where they live. But mom, Vicky wanted to keep them close to her workplace. So when they were little, she enrolled them in an elementary school just a couple of blocks from her office. Now, a decade later, all of Eric and Courtney's friends are in Walnut Creek. So the commute continues. For the family, this arrangement has worked out pretty well. But the teenagers say they're still a little jealous of classmates who can get to school without riding in a car. Other kids that go to our school, they come in. Oh, I'm so tired. I had to wake up at 7 this morning. I'm sitting there. Oh, shut up. Oh, just shut up. <laughs> I was in the car when you woke up. I don't want to hear it. With more time spent on the road than around the dinner table, most families complain about the demise of quality time. 
but the Steves have decided to turn their car time into quality time. Their recently purchased minivan came complete with a VCR and TV in the back seat, making it almost like a living room on wheels. Most of the time, though, their entertainment system stays off, so mom and kids can spend their commute just talking. We're in the car for such a quantity of time that we have to make something work while we're in the car, and the kids will tell you that I lecture them all the time, which we have our fair shares of lectures, but they're both at difficult ages. At 14, Courtney is a pretty typical teenage girl. Lately, she's been having trouble with her boyfriend, Shane, and it's become quite the topic in the family minivan. Yeah, Shane's still not listening to me, though. I try and tell him how I feel about something, and he says, oh, I don't need this crap. You're starting more drama. No, you do, Courtney? You grab him by the collar of his shirt, pull him to just smack him and say, shut up and listen. Always the supportive older brother, Eric quiets down when the issue of grades comes up. He's 17 years old, likes computers and playing guitar, but doing well in school seems to be the last thing on his mind. Sometimes we actually talk, so how was your day? Stuff like that, which is rather rare, because usually it's, what do you have for homework? Why haven't you done your homework? Leave me alone. When report cards come out or the school calls regarding progress or the lack of progress, I've got a captive audience for, you know, however long it takes me to get my tirade over. Does that happen a lot? Yes. Oh, yeah. Daily. Which I'm sure they don't appreciate, but then, you know, how many parents get that opportunity? There's no escape. <laughs> There's no way we can escape unless we jump out the window. Before anyone gets a chance to flee, the van glides through the traffic bottleneck on Highway 4. It kicks into high gear, and the Steve sail to Walnut Creek in no time. That wasn't too bad. That was, what, 45 minutes? (laughs) A recent study found that one of the greatest risk factors for teenagers isn't divorced parents or poverty. It's unsupervised time after school. Not a problem for Eric and Courtney. After school, they walk about a block and a half over to their mother's office. Then the family heads out to the van, and the after-school debrief begins. I had three tests today, Mommy. I I didn't know, though. They were all pop quizzes. And they were really hard, too. Is that how you're announcing how you did? All of the problems I have that are caused by high school, I get counseled on in the car. But then also I have my mom who's constantly nagging me because I supposedly don't perform when I got C's and above. You were, uh, did your homework, what would you have gotten? It's not a homework issue, mother. It's a test issue. Some people don't... I think there's times where I drive them absolutely crazy. But then I try to back off, and then there's times they drive me absolutely crazy, so I can't back off. <laughs> so it's a tough call, and I, I don't think we read the book, you know, on how this is all going to be done. Despite all this, Courtney says she does appreciate the time she spends in the car with her mom. Their relationship is closer than most teenage daughters and their moms. She always helps us with our problems. It doesn't matter if they're big or small. She helps us. Sometimes she's the cause of the problem. Most of the time she's there to fix it, which is a good thing. The Steves get home between 5 and 7, depending on traffic. Just in time for dinner, a little homework, maybe some TV. Then back to bed before it all starts up again. 
fights, lectures, and high school soap operas included, Mother Vicky says she can't imagine giving up the time she and her kids spend in the car. Most of the time, I have people pat me on the back, condolences, and they're there. And how could you stand to stand, you know spend all that time in the car with the kids? You're crazy to commute with the kids. But I think it'd feel more like a commute if I didn't have them to talk to. The Steve's new minivan has clocked more than 18,000 miles in its short six months. That's a lot of time in the car. But as the Steve's see it, time spent together is time well spent, even if it is in a minivan going 15 miles an hour on the freeway. For B-Side, I'm Tamara Keith. Back on the bus, our crew discovered a mean irony. A bus that arrived after ours had just pulled ahead. You know, we just got passed by the other bus. It's so unfair. (laughs) Our bus was so late. I think that always happens, though. It always happens. I never get the... I mean, the bus never comes when you expect it to. I often would just start walking and figure, oh, I'll just catch the bus at some point along the way. I'd walk a mile and it would never catch me. Or it passes you by when you're at the stop. Courtesy. Bitter. Bitter? Let me tell you something about Bitter. Bitter is getting four parking tickets in less than a month. That's what happened to me. However, instead of getting even, I got educated. At the San Francisco Department of Parking and Traffic. There I met Blanca Montoya. She took me on what reporters call a ride-along to learn what it's like as a much-reviled meter maid. Blanca's beat is San Francisco's 24th Street from Potrero Avenue to Castro Street. Every day she drives up and down, covering 30 to 40 miles a day, handing out as many as 75 tickets. She's pretty recognizable in her ice cream cart-shaped ticket mobile. And though Blanca is a familiar sight on 24th Street, people don't exactly wave and welcome her to the neighborhood. I'll be flipped off, you know, a couple times a week. They'll give me the beep, 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 and... You know, me, you would think I learned by now. You know, I I look because I think somebody's getting my attention for something, and they'll just flip me off, you know. And what did I do to you? I don't even know you. I didn't even give you a ticket. I don't exactly know what I was expecting when I met Blanca, but suffice to say, I was surprised. First of all, she's really pretty. Long, curly, dark hair, a big, cheerful smile, medium build, tasteful makeup. She's 38 years old, and she's been doing this job for over 10 years. Not, as I thought, because of some sick desire to punish innocent drivers, but because she likes to be outside. I am not an office person. I cannot sit eight hours, you know, and just have papers right in front of my face. I'm not, you know, not that it's bad, but I just wasn't put on this world for that. And for a working single mom with two kids and only a high school degree, being a meter maid pays pretty well at almost $20 an hour. Certainly beats my independent producer's salary. But before I have a chance to consider a career change, we run into our first parking violation of the day. A produce delivery truck is double parked in front of a corner market. I brace myself for combat. But she lets him go. Sometimes I can't do it. I can't do it. Yesterday, I gave one because he was just totally blocking the whole crosswalk. I picture myself driving going, ah, 275. You know, he wasn't driving a Mercedes and I... 
it bothers me sometimes. It's still, you know, it hurts to hurt other people financially. It hurts to hurt other people? This was more than I could handle. Was I cursed? Why me and not them? Blanca explains. I mean, I would love to tell everybody that came running up to their car, okay, go, you know, and void it out, void it out, if I haven't printed it yet. I can't do that. I would like to, but I can't. While there aren't quotas for how many tickets a parking control officer has to give out in a day, the Department of Parking and Traffic bosses can see how many tickets have been voided out. A meter maid who's too easily swayed is not getting the job done. Fair enough. Next, we come up to a construction truck parked at what looks to me like a broken meter. Blanca shows me a trick people try to pull on her all the time. They put one quarter in the meter and turn the dial halfway so the yellow violation tag sticks up. Blanca turns the dial the rest of the way, and with a little meter-made magic, the money drops into the machine. This cheating driver is caught in the act. I mean, this is, you're, writing him, you're actually now writing him a ticket later than the meter's paid. This is why people hate meter maids. I mean, we're here working, and you still got to harass us. What's messed up? It's called being caught. Blanca calmly writes out the ticket while the enraged driver snaps Polaroids of her and his friend screams obscenities. Unfazed, Blanca slips the ticket under the windshield wiper and we walk away. Wasted our money. Probably a Republican. <laughs> they totally lose it. They totally lose who they are, you know, father, mother, school teacher. I don't understand how they can be so mean and so violent for something they did. You know, that's like, are you going to beat up a police officer, spit on them, call them names if they arrest you for a robbery? No, because you got caught. It's the same thing, except it's not a serious crime parking in expired meter or in a truck zone. As we're talking, the driver comes running back, waving the ticket in Blanca's face. Excuse me, okay. You wrote owner verbal abuse. Okay, I didn't make any verbal abuse to you. This guy just can't let it go. Because these are false accusations. Okay, sir. I, I hope you're getting all that on tape. Yes, is it is. Good, because uh, you will be okay, uh, depositioned. Blanca smiles at me as the guy heads back to his truck, fuming. She says this kind of thing happens to her every day. For the most part, she says, she's just gotten used to it and can let it roll off. But she does have a small vindictive streak. Me, I forgot you the minute I got to this corner. But you right now are sitting down thinking of me. When you get home and explain how your day went, you're going to think of me. When you write that check out, you're going to think of me. Wait for it to be cleared, you're going to think of... So I'm on him for the next 30 days, you know? She tells me later that the interaction I saw was nothing. Blanca has been spit on, rear-ended, pinned between her cushman and another car and some of her co-workers have been flipped over, shot at, even attacked with a hammer. In their eyes, we're nobody. What do you mean we're nobody? We are somebody. We're people. You know, we're normal people. We just so happen to have to control the city and parking, because that's basically what our job is. Blanca says it's not all bad. There are some people in the neighborhood who recognize her and treat her with respect. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, Jimmy. There's this one little old lady that I see all the time. 
and I always stop to say hi to her and she grabs me by my hand you know she grabs me by my hand and oh God's gonna take care of you and he's gonna watch you you know you're a good person take care of your kids and, and when I leave her I'm like I'm blessed <laughs> but with most encounters she says she ends up feeling cursed I don't think it's ever gonna stop I really don't I don't think it's ever gonna we're ever gonna get what we wish for you know, that everybody's going to say hi to us when we give them tickets. I really doubt that. At the end of the day, Blanca returns her Cushman to the Department of Parking and Traffic lot, and we part with a hug. To be perfectly honest, since my day with Blanca, I've been ridiculously nice to meter maids. And yes, I have gotten two more tickets since then. But it's not the meter maid's fault. After all, they're just doing their jobs. I blame the street sweepers. You're listening to KALX 90.7 FM. Stay tuned as on the record flips to the B-side. Across her shoulder, may look a little like a military man. Lovely Rita, Rita May, may I quietly scream? When are you free to take some tea with me? You're listening to B-Side. I'm Mia Lobel, and the theme of this month's show is transportation. As the 51 bus carried B-Side crew members Lissa Mudd, Tamara Keith, and I closer to our destination, a guy named Rocco hopped on, carrying a big, blue, battery-operated scooter. Well, I won this thing yesterday, so I took it on its maiden voyage today. I went to the supermarket, and it didn't quite make it. What is it exactly? So it's like this electric scooter thing with, uh, it's got a big, huge... 50-pound battery on it, and uh, it, uh, it's supposed to get you 10 miles, but apparently it only got me two. We at B-Side can't help but think that what you drive says something about who you are. For Peter Crimmins, choosing a method of transportation was more a lesson in self-discovery. Since I was six years old, I've owned bicycles, exclusively. From those cheap, huffy dirt bikes you can buy at Sears to the small collection of racing and mountain hybrids that now crowd my apartment, I've always preferred bicycles to motorized vehicles. I can drive. The California Department of Motor Vehicles gave me a license. I just don't drive. It seems so cumbersome to have to encase oneself in a metric ton of steel just to get around town. For years, my mother has been nagging me to buy a car. She always mentions it in accordance with my station in life. Well, you're out of college now. Shouldn't you buy a car? Well, you're over 30 now. Shouldn't you buy a car? A car to her, and I think to most people, bestows a certain status on the owner. A nice car with plush interior says something. A beater car with a punk rock bumper sticker says something. An SUV with a ski rack. A canary yellow Corvette. A Saturn with one of those Darwin fish figures. But no car? If I don't participate in the American freedoms of color, make, and model, I'm hardly a citizen at all. But bicycling for 20 years takes its toll. The cuffs of all my pant legs are stained with chain grease. I arrive winded and sweating everywhere I go. The bicycle dictates where I go and when, dictates my wardrobe, my body odor. I'm tired. 
So I finally decided to loosen my self-righteous contempt for internal combustion engines. Now I'm faced with another problem, how to debut myself into the world of automobiles. It'd be silly for me to sit behind the wheel of a sedan. That would be like an intern wearing a three-piece suit. A truck would be impractical because I don't own anything that needs to be hauled, except maybe a bicycle. And in fact, making the leap to four wheels is already too far outside my sense of self. I've always seen myself straddling a scooter. There's scores of scooters on the market. They're efficient, inexpensive, and cute. The Yamaha Riva, the Honda Elite, the Raz. But my personal image still nagged at me. I couldn't see myself walking into the motorcycle parking lot past all the rebels and the fat boys and the hurricanes and the nighthawks to rev up my perky little jog. There is one scooter that can hold its own, the Vespa. It's mod. It's cool. Even while pedaling the bicycle, I've wanted to be like the Italians, zipping through cobblestone plazas in Rome, who, in their skinny suits and wraparound sunglasses, themselves wanted to be like Marcello Mastrioni. So, of course, I bought the Vespa. A white 1982 P200, to be exact. Now I can drive alongside America's car culture with a plum, straddling the cultural identity of my own choosing, and I can confidently go into the motorcycle parking lot and rev up the real deal. Peter Crimmins can be seen lane-splitting the streets of Berkeley, California. Watch for that white P200. He hopes you don't cut him off. When you drive an unusual vehicle, you have to be prepared for unusual occurrences. Amy Schoenfeldt is used to getting strange reactions to her vehicle of choice. She drives a hearse. You know, those extra-long station wagons used to carry the dead to funerals? She drives it everywhere. To the mall, to the grocery store. She's president of a hearse club called Grim Rides and the webmistress of the biggest hearse site on the Internet. Amy even worked in a funeral home for a while. Hearses are her life. My name is Amy the Hearse Queen. I'm 29 years old, and I think I've owned 20 hearses. I've lost track. I grew up down the street from a funeral home in Sunnyvale, California. I used to walk by it and see the hearse there, and I'd be all, oh, I just thought it was the most beautiful car, and I didn't really understand what it was for. But then as I got older and I realized what it was all about, I liked it more and more. This is my back door. If you open it up and if you look inside, there's a little light fixtures over here, and they light up when the back door opens. Mine's a, a three-way side loader, which was the most expensive one that, that they offered. And the reason being is this great big electric table right here. And what happens is the coffin sits on that. Now, there's a big motor underneath the table. When you push all the buttons and unlock the table, then the electric table will slide out with the coffin on it, which was supposed to assist them in moving the body around. And it just looked good. It just was very, you know, showy. You know, I think it's slick. Lots of times when you buy hearses from funeral homes and you look in the glove box, you'll find, like, you know, property of Harker Funeral Home when they'll be, like, little smelling salt packs or something. I worked at a funeral home for four and a half years. I lived there. They gave me free rent. I just had to wake up in the middle of the night and answer the phones and let in the folks that brought the dead people. 
It was the only job I ever had that didn't seem like a job. You know what I mean? Most jobs, you're like, I hate it here. But that job was really fulfilling. I wanted to be a nurse, but I don't think I could watch people die. But being there for the families, after they've suffered a loss, being there for them, I think it's almost as fulfilling as being a nurse. There it is. There's the lurch. Oh, I got him from a hearse dealer like 10 years ago. And I got there, and he was visually the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. You know, he had a little door ding here and there. But he was, you know, really shiny and silver with a black roof. But he said, you know, he needs some front-end work and uh, some shocks or whatever. It makes noise, but it hasn't affected the ride, really. So whenever I brake, he makes this lurch sound, and I just thought it was just so charming. I've never bothered to fix it. Lurch has had 4,782 bodies in it when the funeral home owned him. Then when I owned him, and I worked at Chapel of the Flowers in San Jose, California, I used him for a couple services. He took this poor woman that had been murdered by, like, some kid. So I had to take the um, funeral service in Lurch, which is a really weird thing, because I'm used to driving a hearse, but I'm not used to driving a hearse with a body in it. That was a whole different can of beans. And he's not like some of the hearses you might see in movies where they have the divider behind the driver, and then there's, like, you know, a divider window. He's all open inside. So the coffin is, like, four inches from your the back of your head and the only thing holding this like 800 pound coffin with a person in it is this one little piece of metal right here and I was like oh my god please don't let it break please don't let it squish me it felt bizarre I mean I felt really proud you know because I was in a funeral procession but then the other part of me was like oh my god I have like 80 cars following me and these two cops in uniforms on the side of me like with funeral escort on their back and you know I'm like I can't lose these people they have to all follow me to the cemetery and the whole deal and I was like almost totally combusted. I had white knuckles the whole time. Sometimes, you know, just because I've had him for so long, I don't remember that he's a hearse. And so I'll be driving and I'll be wondering why the heck is that person next to me just bugging out? Because they will. They will bug out. They either, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. I'm going to borrow that. That's rad. And you're like, oh my God, get away, you know, or else they're flipping you off or calling you names and a freak and spitting at your car. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of crazy stuff. When I was growing up in Sunnyvale, they have the Sunnyvale Neighborhood Awareness Program called SNAP. It's supposed to be for, like, earthquakes, but they'd have, like, monthly meetings and talk about the Satanist drug-dealing redheaded girl with the hearse. And I'm like, who are they talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm all, oh, crap, they mean me. <laughs> I'm not a Satanist drug-dealing freak. We have a word for it. We call it hersecuted. Instead of persecuted, we just get hersecuted. People take it out on us. Last year, I got diagnosed with cervical cancer. They told me they were going to do some tests, and I was going to have chemo or have it taken out. They told me it wasn't looking very good, and I was really scared. I ended up having my cervix yanked out. I was intensely ill, but I kept driving my hearse. Then I had a retest earlier this year, and I got a letter back from the doctor on Halloween. They found abnormal cells, but it's not as bad as it was before. I talked to my mom, and she was really amped. She said, so you're going to get rid of the hearse now, right? And I'm all, no. I think she assumes that since I'm sick, I should sell Lurch so I won't be depressed. But looking at my hearse doesn't make me think about my own mortality. But I understand how my mom feels about my hearse. Because when the post office truck pulled up on Halloween, I saw what most people see when they look at Lurch. To them, he's a big symbol of death. But to me, my hearse is like drugs. I'm driving a three-ton, 23-foot symbol of death, and I'm blissful. I think that owning a hearse and working at a funeral home for a while, I just had a whole different outlook on death. It's just like we say, don't take life too seriously. It's not permanent. 
I have a t-shirt that says put the fun back in funeral. I wish I wore it. It's my life now. There's a Hearst Club in Southern California which did a beautiful thing. One of their members died and they took him to the cemetery in his own car. It was hard, but I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. If something happens to me, I hope somebody will take me in my car. I totally want to. This profile was produced by Lissa Mudd. You can find out more about hearses on Amy's site, GrimRides.com. That's all for this month's edition of B-Side. Our crew is Dave Gilson, Lissa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by Dave Kaufman. I'm your host, Mia Lobel. Thanks for listening. B-Side will return on October 2nd with a show called Caught on Tape. In the meantime, on the record returns September 18th. Yes, I'm gonna be a star. The next stop is ours.